0: This Gospel comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 15 through 32, 33. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples, along with the supporters of Herod, to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the word of God faithfully. You are impartial and you do not play favorites. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them, and they went away. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, Religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died. And the third brother married. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage." In this respect they will be like the angels in heaven but now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures long after Abraham Isaac and Jacob had died God said I am the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob or the, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob so he is the God of the living and not the dead When the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. Today we are into our second sermon in this series that I have entitled, Staying Healthy During a Pandemic and then Cross Out Pandemic and Insert an Election. How do we stay healthy, not only during a pandemic, but during an election like this? one that we are having this year, well, today's theme comes from our scripture, be an example. Be an example. The other day, I was, it was in the morning, I was looking for my classes. I had been doing my devotions, reading the Bible in the living room area where I do that and uh, I had gone in to make coffee and I realized as I went in that I didn't, I couldn't see clearly and I left my glasses so I went back to the living room to the table and I didn't find my glasses there and I thought well, that doesn't really make sense and so then I decided well I should probably check my den because I've gone in there Um, so I went into the den and I looked around my desk and I couldn't find my glasses there. And then I thought, well maybe I left them back in the kitchen somewhere when I was getting the coffee ready. And I looked around the kitchen and I couldn't find them. I went to the bedroom and thought, well maybe I didn't even bring them out of the bedroom. So I looked in the bedroom at my bedstand and they weren't there. And finally I go like this, where's my glasses? And I realized, oh, they're right in my head. Sometimes, perhaps you're like me, and you're carrying things you don't even realize. <laughs> you thought that you didn't have it, but you did. In this reading today, in the first half especially, I wanted to focus on in the beginning here. This is where the Pharisees have sent some of their disciples and some of the uh, Herodian. To question Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And um, the story goes you know, they we pay taxes unto Caesar. And remember Jesus' response to these leaders? He says, Show me the coin. Remember, show me the money. Show me the coin that is used to pay the temple tax. Show me the coin. And so these leaders begin fumbling around in their pockets and they pull out a an denarius. And they hand it to Jesus. And Jesus says, Well, whose image is on this coin? And they say, Caesar's. You know the rest of the story, right? Render unto Caesar, what is Caesar's? Render unto God, what is God? But I think that there's something interesting happening even before that. And that is, Jesus asked them to show him the coin used for the temple tax. Now, the temple tax was a tax you paid when you went to the temple. It was paid to help support the upkeep of the temple. And it amounted two denarii um, when you went to pay your temple tax, two denarii. Um, a shekel was worth four denarii. A half shekel was worth two denarii. And then you had a denarius denarii is plural, denarius is singular. So they had a denarius, one-fourth of a shekel, one-half of what you would pay for the temple tax. They pulled that coin out of their pocket, and they handed it to Jesus. The Pharisees handed him a Roman coin, a denarius with a picture of the emperor on. I don't know if you caught that or not. Jesus asked the Pharisees for a coin, and they handed him a Roman coin. Jesus didn't have them. Jesus didn't carry around no Roman money. He had no need for it. He had no use for it. So what's in your pocket? Where did you put your glasses? What are we calling around that we don't even realize is compromising our witness to the gospel? Are you spending time with the things of this world? Or are you spending time with God? The Pharisees tried to trap Jesus and as they set their trap, they end up ensnaring themselves. Now this has happened to me on occasion, especially when I was younger, I used to love to go out fishing. And uh, every once in a while, when I would get ready to throw out my, my line, I would snare myself with the book from the Lord. And, and so it's not difficult to trap yourself physically. To ensnare yourself. Nor is it difficult for us to do that spiritually. It's not critical to render under Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and to God the things that belong to God. There is nothing inherently wrong with that. So render under Caesar what is Caesar's? Pay your taxes. Go and vote. If you're asked to serve on a city committee of governance, serve on the committee. If you're asked to serve on your school board, serve on your school board. You see, there's nothing wrong with living lives where we render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Do the things that Provide support and guidance and direction for governments. Find your glasses, even if they're still on your head. And then render unto God what belongs to God. Jesus is very clear here. There's no duplicity. The hypocritical nature of this story is not from Jesus, it's from the Pharisees. 1 Thessalonians, this is the second reading that is assigned to our lectionary for this Sunday. 1 Thessalonians helps us to underscore Jesus' point of giving unto God all that belongs to God, including yourself. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to read, uh, I think, beginning in verse 4. read from verse 4 through verse, uh, verse 7. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you. This is Paul now writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And this is a church that has experienced suffering. We we went through 1 Peter, and uh, this would be kind of a similar region that 1 uh, Peter was in and was writing this letter to that we studied this summer. Paul is writing a letter to a church in Thessalonica which is a part of Macedonia. And he says to them, we know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Isn't that amazing? That God loves you and chooses you? That's what Paul is saying to this church. And that's what Paul is saying through this letter to you also. We know, dear brothers and sisters, of this chosen status. So, for when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Do you remember in the second part of our gospel reading this morning, when the Sadducees asked Jesus to try to trap him again about the resurrection? Remember what Jesus said that God is the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of Isaac. So so God is the God of the living. There is a resurrection. And not only that, Jesus says to them, you don't know this because you don't know the words of God the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. God's spiritual power. And how does this church know about their confirmation of faith? Paul writes for when we brought you the good news it was not only with words which we regard now as scripture but also with power for the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And then he goes on, so you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord, the Lord Jesus. As a result, you have become an example to all believers in Greece. This church had become, an they listened to the Word of God, and they listened to the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the words of God, they became confirmed in their faith. And so, what's happening here is just the opposite of what happened in the story of the Sadducees. Thessalonians helps us to understand that everything belongs to God, even our own lives, even ourselves. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the founders of this church in Thessalonica. Yet early on they were forced to leave. They were charged. They were charged by unbelieving Jews and Macedonians and Romans they were charged with causing civil disturbances. The church there thrived because of the words of Jesus, because of the spiritual power that came to the church. They learned so much about being Christian. And they learned it by imitating their church founders, the apostles, the apostle Paul, and also the, the, the people that Paul were, was teaching uh, to help grow the church, spread the church, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So Silas and Timothy are also being imitated by this urban church. And because of this imitation, they also were imitating the Lord Jesus. From what they learned about Jesus, that was how they wanted to live their lives. Yet these church founders, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, were forced to leave and to run from the threats that surrounded them in Thessalonica. And because of this, the church suffered from these attacks against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, in particular, were sought after to be arrested. And because of their absence, this young church was forced to grow up as an orphan church. And so this church was, in Paul's heart, he deeply loved the people that he had begun to form into a a community of believers, into the body of Christ in Thessalonica. And because of his love for them, he wanted to go back. He wanted to be present with them. He wanted to be their spiritual parent. And as he tried to go back, he couldn't. In verses, uh, in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, I'm sorry, book 1, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, we hear more of what happened. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. There were spiritual strongholds on this church. The power of the evil one was preventing Paul from being able to return. Through humility, through prayer, through submission, Paul was finally able to send back Timothy, Paul and Silas were still being sought for arrest. The lays still couldn't go back. But Timothy could go. And they entrusted this responsibility to visit the church, to be with the church, to help grow the church. They entrusted that responsibility to Timothy. And when Timothy returned, he told Paul and Silas that he found a church that was grounded in faith and hope and love there were some pastoral issues that they needed to deal with and so Paul addresses those in the second half of this letter. But they were so thankful, so grateful that the church was still in existence in the midst of all the suffering that they were encountering because they claimed faith in one God exclusively, not the pantheon of gods as the Romans did. But in one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Even in the midst of their losses, even in the midst of their suffering, this early church, orphaned, still spread the good news. And it said that the faith of this early church in Thessalonica was an example. It was an example throughout Greece to all the other Christians, all the other churches I believe that in the midst of this coming election especially but also in the midst of a pandemic we need to be an example, the church we need to be set apart and that doesn't mean that you don't take your responsibility to render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar, you do that But it also says that we honor something even more than our civic responsibilities. There is someone greater than the candidate that we want elected for president. There is someone greater than the political ideology that we adhere to. And that one is Jesus. And Jesus has called us. called us, his church, to be an example. But before the church can be an example, you and I must be examples. We talked about that last week when I preached the sermon on character matters. So how can we be an example today? I don't believe the process is a quick one and we think we're going to see huge dividends before this election or before this pandemic is even over, I think we might be miscalculating. It's going to take the church a long time to recover because I believe in some, in some respects we have lost our foot, our foundations, and it's going to take us a while to be able to recover. So we're going to need patience, and we're going to need perseverance. And as I thought about what kind of stories are there in the Bible of patience, perseverance, where character development really happens over a period of of years, even decades, I was thinking back to Genesis, the story of Joseph. Joseph is a favorite, and he learns to submit to God through some very, very painful experiences. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He was so beloved by Joseph that Joseph gave him a special gift, a beautiful robe. His brothers hated Joseph because he was his father's favorite. There were 12 boys altogether: 10 from his marriage to Leah, Jacob's marriage to Leah, and two from Jacob's marriage to Rachel. And so we see in this story, Joseph, aided by his brothers, because he's his father's favorite, also has a gift. And the gift is that he can interpret and he tells his brothers, he's not afraid to tell them, I had a dream last night. I had another dream. And uh, there was these 12 bundles of wheat. And, and uh, it was so amazing. It was a beautiful dream. You know, my bundle was right in the middle. And the other 11 bundles were all around me. They are all bowing down to me. Isn't that awesome? Now, if your brothers already hate you, and you're telling them the story about this dream, this interpretation about this dream, I think you might be getting yourself into a little bit of trouble. And that's what it says in the scriptures. It says that after telling them this dream, his brothers hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. Hated Joseph even more. They hated Joseph even more than they had hated him. Joseph has another dream. And this time, all the moon and the stars and the sun and everything is bowing down to him again. And his brothers respond by saying, what are you talking about? Do you think you're going to reign over us? And it says, they hated him even more. Finally, the brothers have had it. And they sell into slavery, into bondage, to some Ishmaelite traders that are traveling through, and then they take his robe and they cover it with goat blood, and they take the goat or the, the robe home to their father, and they tell their father, "Well, we couldn't find Joseph, but this is what we found. I think a wild animal must have eaten him. It says that Joseph's father deeply mourned for him. Joseph, meanwhile, sold as a slave to Potiphar in Egypt. But, the scriptures tell us, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph impressed Potiphar and became his number one servant. Matter of fact, he became the leader of the whole household. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, is attracted to him, propositions him, and when Joseph turns her down. She rips her clothes and charges them with rape. And Joseph goes to prison. He's in prison now with uh, two other servants who have joined him. One is a cupbearer. That's the person who drinks from the cup of wine that the king is going to drink from. Before, the king drinks from it in case it is poisoned. And that way the cupbearer dies, and not the king. The cupbearer is in prison. He has found his favor with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And also a baker is in prison. The baker, the chief baker for Pharaoh. While in prison, we are reminded that the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was such a manager, such an organizer, that he quickly became the warden of the prison's chief right hand. He became in charge of the prison, like he'd been in charge of Potiphar's household. And when he became in charge, the cupbearer and the baker each had a dream. And they didn't know what the dream meant. But they had heard that Joseph had dreams and could interpret dreams. And so they went to Joseph and asked him to interpret their dream. But this time, Joseph isn't so quick to interpret the dream. He responds to them. Interpreting dreams is the work of God. See, he's no longer in the center. Remember when he told the dreams to the brothers? Who was in the center? Joseph was. But now he's no longer He says, interpreting dreams is God's work. So they continue to ask him to interpret the dreams. So Joseph, who has begun to submit his ability to interpret dreams to where it belongs, belongs to God, tells them what their dreams mean. This is what the Lord intends for you to hear. The baker's dream is a word of judgment that gets fulfilled. Up being killed. And the cupbearer's dream is one of hope. He is released from prison and restored as the chief cupbearer to the king. Later, while still in prison, Joseph is asked to interpret another dream. This time it is a dream from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has had all of his magicians and astrologers and everyone who think of that can interpret dreams, come and interpret the dream, but no one can interpret Joseph's dream. And that's when the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy, Joseph, in prison, and he could interpret dreams. So they called Joseph to meet with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked Joseph to interpret his dream. And this is Joseph's response. It is beyond my power to do it is beyond my power to do this. God has now taken control, taken over Joseph's life. Through Joseph's submission, it is now God who is the center. No longer is it Joseph. So he interprets the dream for Pharaoh. It's going to be seven years of bountiful harvest, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And it said, after he interpreted this dream that the Lord was with Joseph. I don't know if this makes complete sense or not, but what this story tells me is that there is a path for us to be the church, like the church in Thessalonica was. When God speaks to you his word, listen. Listen to that word. Listen to what God is saying to you. And then when you hear that word, listen to it with humility. Not like, I know this, I understand this, I am right, you're all wrong. That's not humility. Listen to it as if it is God speaking. One of the really important lessons that I learned in seminary, a very simple one, was that as we sought knowledge of God, one of my professors said, I want you to understand God. That's why we're teaching you the knowledge of God. I want you to understand God. And when I say I want you to understand God, what I mean is I want you to always, as you interpret God's word, I want you to stand under God. Oh yes. Humility. Understand it means to stand on earth. Begin with humility or in biblical expressions begin with repentance. Continue with discussion about the issue. What can you do to make things different? How can you make things better? And then plan how to interact with people rather than to react. I mean, as Christians we have pretty much kind of become really similar to unbelievers, to the culture. And what that means is that there isn't a really a distinctive difference between us and the culture. And I believe what God is calling us is to be distinctive, not in a prideful way, not in a domineering way, but in a, a, a humble way, using our humility, our submission. To be able to interact with people instead of react That means that we need to listen to God, repent, be humble, process, and think through how can we interact with the culture, with the world out there? How can we interact with my friends who may think differently than I do about the election or the pandemic? And then think through how can I share good news can I share good news to people? I am how to interact rather than to react. I believe that this is what it means to be the church. And if we begin to do this individually, I think that we can begin to do this corporately. But it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that is kind of like a, a magical fix-it. As I try to tell people, we're in the mess that we're in today because we collectively created it. And now we need to take responsibility to fix it. As Christians, we have a unique process of how we can do that. And that means ultimately going back words of God to the spiritual power that comes from God through those words. Because God is still God in this world. Even though if you may be suspect about that, Jesus told us, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God of there is a resurrection of the dead. So let's restore the church with I am.